Could you imagine how sad that day was for his disciples, for Mary, his mom, for his friends, for heaven itself, for the angels to look down? Think from their perspective. They were there when Jesus spoke creation into being and and yet there they saw him. They knew him for how holy and majestic he is. And yet they saw him willingly be crucified to the cross. Can you imagine how sad of a day that would be? Jesus, though, says something amazing to his disciples in, in John 16. And I want us to hear it. This isn't the text, but it, to me it sets the tone for what we're going to study. In, in John 16... Jesus uh, is looking at his disciples and, and he tells them, that, listen, you are about to experience something terrible and you are going to mourn and you are going to be sad. But it will only be for a little bit because I will return, he promises. And when I will return, he says these awesome words, I will give you a joy that no one could take away. And I want you to hear that because we sit on that side of this story, that, that we are on the side of the story where Jesus says, when I, after I return to you, my disciples, I'm going to give a joy that no one could ever take away. And so that means right now, in, in the midst of all of the chaos that we're experiencing in our world, we are experiencing it as people who have a joy that cannot be taken away because of what Jesus has done. And so we're going to talk about death today because it's Passion Sunday and Jesus and his death bring us to, to talk about death. But we're going to do it as people who have a joy that cannot be taken away even by death itself. And so this isn't tone death, death in a, in, a, in a time when the world is scared to talk about death and there's death all around us. No, no, no. We are doing it looking at Jesus and saying we experience all of this through the truth that we have a joy of the resurrected Jesus deep in our soul that cannot be taken away, not even by our own death. So with that in mind, we're going to step into our text. And so for this week and next week, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. Um, and we're going to we're going to actually kind of we're going to be just in three verses, verses one, two and three. But this week we're going to start with verses two and three. And next week we'll come back around to verse one for Easter Sunday. So for for this week, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to Colossians chapter three, starting in verse two. I'm going to read these two verses and then I'll say a prayer for us and, and we'll get started in our study. Paul is writing to the church of Colossae and he says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Let's pray. Father, as we gather around your truth, we gather around you, the living God, scattered but one in spirit, one in the blood of Christ, we, we just are asking, Father, that you would use your word to build us up into that which you would have us be as a church, as people, as family units, as individuals, God, that you would, you would stir with your Holy Spirit to shape and convict and transform us into who you would have us be, particularly in this season that we might shine your light 
and your hope and this joy that can't be taken away to a world that is so scared right now. So, Father, we, we ask and know that that comes from you, that is a gift from you, and so we are reliant on you for it. In Jesus Christ's name, amen, amen. So I was, <coughs> I was raised by a school teacher. I'm married to a school teacher, and I have come to think as t- of teachers as, as heroes, uh, I think there are a lot of parents at home right now who would agree with me as they are trying to, to do their own homeschooling of their kids. Teachers are amazing. They take our kids and they do amazing things with them and they do it willingly and they do it for pennies. And I can attest to it both for my mom and my wife. It is to them a sense of calling and what they are gifted in and it is a gift uh, to the world and they're so excited about it. But I also think, and I say this tongue-in-cheek kind of, I also think there's kind of a psychosis that comes with being a school teacher that that and I don't know if it's developed over time or if it's just a mindset that you have to have in order to say yes to that kind of job. But school teachers brains are just wired in an interesting way. And I love it. Uh, For instance, uh, they plan everything and they have to because they have kids coming into their classroom all day long five days a week and a plan means organization and it means these kids will move in the right direction without a plan they just fall off the base and the reason i say this is because uh, i i have experienced a couple of school teachers that i just love one in our church uh she's retired and i won't call her out (laughs) jane vorst um and (laughs) who if you know Jane, she is a planner, and even though she has retired, that part of her brain did not retire. And one of my first weeks here, Jane came to see me, and this is not the first time I've had a school teacher do this. I've only had school teachers do this, though. Jane came to see me, and I, Jane, I hope you're not upset with me sharing this. It will be obvious one day. Uh, Jane came to see me, and she had a big three-ring binder, and in it were uh, her funeral plans. She has already planned out her entire funeral from beginning to end, and she was letting me know where I was going to fit into those plans. And so I love that about Jane. I think that's amazing. My wife probably will love that idea and run with that. School teachers totally get that. I'll have it all planned out. But I think my favorite was just recently, right before the coronavirus stuff hit, uh, we had an, an, an older gentleman in our church pass away. And his family came to see me, and he was a school teacher. He taught shop, and he too had planned out his funeral. But his funeral plans were quite simple. They consisted of two parts, and their family was, uh, his family was very uh, serious that when we get to the time after all this virus and we're able to have a memorial service that we're going to stick to this, his plans were, one, that it be extremely short, and two, that afterwards there would be root beer and cookies. That was all he wanted. I love that kind of plan. It made me start thinking that if I got to plan out the meal people are going to have afterwards uh, for, for my funeral, what would I plan? It might be a little bit more robust than root beer and cookies, although I can get behind that. Um, <laughs> so I bring all that up to say that we're actually going to talk about your death. But we're not going to talk today about your future death. And actually, we're going to talk about your, your past death. And, and you, might, you might be confused by that, but, but look, at, look at what we just read. Verse 3, for you died. Do you hear that? That's past tense. It's not talking about for you are going to die. That, that, yeah, but it says, but you have died. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, then you have already experienced death, he says, for your life is hidden 
with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ. What is, what is he talking about that you have died? Well, I, I think this is, this is huge for us to understand, to get the full picture of the gospel. If you'll remember, in, in John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, and very famously, he says, listen, that uh, unless you are born again of the Holy Spirit, you will never see the kingdom of God. Your eyes cannot see it unless you were born again. And he, Jesus introduces this idea of being born again and having life in Jesus Christ, new life. And we talk often about this new life. And, and what Jesus is referring to there is something that if you are a follower of Christ, you have experienced. It is an event. It's something that happens inside of you. It happens by the hearing of the gospel, and you might have heard it over and over again. This story that because of our sin, we are separated from God, but that Jesus came and took upon himself on the cross the, the penalty for our sin, and he, he then defeated death itself by coming back and from the resurrection, and, and that he then ascends into the right hand of God, and, and he uh, brings us with him into God's presence so that now nothing separates us from God for all of eternity. That is the gospel, that it's a beautiful story, that now we have new life, we have a new family in the, in the church, and until that day when God brings about a new heaven and earth, we get to live in the reality of the Holy Spirit uh, in this new life and new family. It's an awesome, awesome message of the gospel. And yet for many, as many times as they have heard this, and this might be you, you can't believe. And then something happens. And in the hearing of the gospel, something as a gift of God clicks in your soul and suddenly you move from unbelief to belief. In that moment, and it might be you reading it and it might come over a series of time, but in that moment you can see, aha, and suddenly you have been given the eyes of faith to see Jesus and the things of the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't see it. And it's a gift that happens that God gives to us now. But in that moment when there is new life, and we often talk about this new life, we, we celebrate what is ours in the new life. But in that moment, there's also a death. See, th th there's a birth, but there's also a death. And I don't think we talk about that death enough because we have to understand what died in that moment when we come alive in Jesus Christ. Paul says it, for you have died. It's why we do baptism, by the way, by immersion. It's the whole picture of what that is, that you were buried and then you were raised into a new life. It's the both and. And so this Sunday we're talking about what you, is death, what has died inside of us. Next Sunday we're going to talk about what, what is alive in us in the resurrection. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6. He says, uh, verses 2 and 3. He says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying this is why we, we practice this, that we are united to Christ, he says. When we are baptized, we are baptized into his death, buried with him in baptism. And so here is, here is the, the question um, that, that we need to, to wrap our minds around. And before we take of communion and we celebrate break, uh, Christ's death, we need to understand what died in us 
when Christ died? What, what died in us when, when we accepted Christ and were baptized into his death, as Paul said? And so I, I just made a list for us. We're going to walk through this list. It's a bit of a Bible study, but it's good theology, and it's something that we need to understand, and it's going to set the stage for us. So first of all, what died in us, um, what has died in us, first, our sinful guilt has died in us. Listen to Colossians 2.14. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. How beautiful. Do you hear that? Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, our guilt, having taken our guilt, that we were guilty, and then he has taken that guilt and he nailed it to the cross, he said. And so hear that. It's gone. It's nailed to the cross. So when Jesus is buried in the tomb, with him is buried my guilt. When Jesus breathed his last breath, with that last breath was the last breath of my guilt. That I no longer have to feel guilt. You no longer have to feel guilt. It has been canceled. It can no longer condemn us. So that when you feel the enemy bring up your past life and your sins and you feel less than before God and you are, you are feeling the weight of your guilt, stand up and go, no, 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 that is dead. It is gone. That, my guilt died and was nailed to the cross. What amazing thought to have, that you have the audacity and the ability every time you wake up to wake up as somebody whose guilt is completely washed away. And oh, the world and friends and past relationships might like to bring up your past guilt, and you can look them in the face and say, oh, I was guilty. I, I absolutely was. That was alive, but, but it's died. It's dead. It's now dead. It's been buried with Christ, crucified with him on the cross. So our, our sinful guilt is, is dead within us. Hallelujah. Secondly, our separation from God died with Jesus Christ. Listen to Colossians 1, 21 through 22. He says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Do you hear that? That, that when Christ died, so too did our alienation from God. That we could not have had a relationship with the holy God of the universe. It was impossible because of sin within us. We are separated, alienated from God, Paul says. But through Christ's bodily death, when he died on the cross, buried with him was that separation so that now he can present us in his presence pure and holy and without blemish. That's an incredible news. Hear that to your core, that there's nothing that you must do in order to gain access into God's presence. That if, if you find yourself, this is why repentance is, is so necessary. If you, even as a believer right now, who are hidden in Christ, if you find yourself in sin, what is the path back into God's presence? What, what is it? It's already been bestowed upon you, 
right? Your separation was already crucified and died in Jesus Christ. You just give it to Jesus and boom, you're already in the presence of God. And so guilt would love to convince you, oh, God's mad at you. God's going to give you the silent treatment for a little bit. The gospel says otherwise, that you did nothing to earn to get into the presence of God for in the first place. And there can be nothing that you can do to try to stay there, that it's always been a gift of Jesus Christ because that separation was crucified and has been buried so that now I can always be with Jesus. And I, I just want you to hear that because there might be some kind of mindset that you have uh, that somehow that by not being able to be together here in church, you're missing out on, on God's presence in your life, and that's false. Oh, we're missing out on the presence of people in our life, and we're missing out on the joy. We're, we're missing out on a lot. Now, don't hear me. I, I cannot, uh, I, don't misunderstand me. I cannot wait until we're all back together. But one thing you're not missing out on is the presence of God. That, in fact, Jesus says, hey, when you pray, Get by yourself. Go to, go to a closet, shut out everybody. I've made this little man corner for myself in my garage where I've like chiseled out all my junk away and put a, put a chair there because that's like the one place I can escape to in my house. And, and, and that's my spot. And I go, and I know as soon as I open my mouth to talk, God is there. And I don't have to jump through any hoop or be in any certain building. I don't have to do any certain thing. He's there. Because he has presented me to himself pure and holy and without blemish through Jesus Christ. That's my gift. Never separate it. Live out of that joy. Next, what is, what is crucified is, is our sinful nature. Listen to Romans 6, 6-7. through 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that in the body, ruled by sin, uh, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin do you hear what that's saying that that we know that our old self that sinful nature that was controlled it says ruled by sin that it has been done away with that it's been crucified with him. So when, when Paul says you have died, what's he saying? He's saying your sinful nature has died. That, that you are no longer ruled by, by this thing inside of you that makes you have to be a slave to sin. Because anyone who has died, it says, has been set free from sin. Hear that. That, that, that you are no longer ruled by sin. That sin is not your master, it's not your slave. You've been set free from that. So whatever that thing is that you're tempted by, it does not control you. It can't control you. You have the power. Oh, I'm not saying that we're perfect. I, I know the feeling of, for, for me, food will always be one of the biggest temptations. It will always, gluttony and to make that more, than it will always be one of the biggest temptations. I don't know what, what yours are. There are others of mine. And I know that, that, that as a Christian, though, I might wake up and notice one day that this thing in my life, this sinful thing, is sitting in the driver's seat of my life right now. But what Jesus has changed is that that sin, whatever it is, is no longer chained to the driver's seat. That I have the ability to evict him anytime I desire because of Jesus Christ and his power within me. So I can say to that thing, be gone, you have died, you are no longer ruling this, Christ gets that seat. 
that, that I don't have to, through my own, own power and, and ability, try to wrestle with my own strength to overcome my own sinful nature and f- fight that losing battle. No, I can just put Christ where he belongs and sinful nature dies. And that's a powerful truth. It, it changes how you deal with sin in your life. That, 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 so hear me right now, that if you are, are struggling with sin right now, I'm going to tell you it's not enough just to try to kick sin in the name of Jesus out of the driver's seat. You have to put something there that's worth being there. And it can't be another hobby. And it can't be a, a, another family member. It can't be something of this world. The only thing that deserves to be in that seat of authority in our life is Jesus Christ. And so going back to the last thing where we talked about having this relationship with Jesus that is driving us, until that becomes paramount, then you're going to see sinful nature drive you. And, and it shouldn't. It, it, it has no more rule and power over you. The issue is that Jesus did not free us from sinful nature so that you and I can sit in the driver's seat. He freed us from sinful nature so that he could sit in the driver's seat of our life. And so until that comes, and, and I don't know who that is I'm speaking to, maybe all of us at some degree in our life, if Jesus gets to have that seat, but sin no longer has power over us. It, it, can't, uh, it can't rule us. Jesus has won. Uh, number four, what, what he has freed us from, what has died inside of us on the cross with him, is our identity, how we see ourselves. Galatians 2.20, very famously, we just got through studying Galatians, and for many of us, this was our big takeaway verse. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Oh my gosh. You hear what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, man, I had a huge identity. We talked about that last week of who I was as a, as a known person in my Jewish world. He said, but I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ. When he's saying I, he's saying all those worldly things that I would identify myself with, that I pride myself in, all those have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So it's no longer my fame I'm worried about. It's no longer my desires that drive me. It's no longer that those things that that it is christ and if i'm to go on living this body it'll be fruitful service to to christ he says so our our identity is no longer uh, alive it is died and, and buried with christ which is part of the good news and finally the world is dead to us that we have died to the world listen galatians 6 14 may i never boast except in the cross of our lord jesus christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I love that. I love that. Our desires for things of this world have been crucified. We now long for heaven. At least that's what it's supposed to be like. Maybe some of us need to allow those things to die. They say, you know what, I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. That when Jesus died, it was the world that crucified him. And I was right there with him and I died to the world right along with Jesus. Now, I I like what Charles Spurgeon wrote about this. He says, to live to serve men is one thing. To live to bless them is another. And this we will do, God helping us, making sacrifices for their good. But to fear man, 
That is a baseness we cannot handle. I, I love that. You hear what he's saying is that, listen, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to bless the world and we're going to sacrifice for people in the world, but we will not serve the world and we will not fear the world. That belongs to God. We don't, we don't fear man. Oh, we want to we bless man, but we will not be servant to this world. We are servant to the Most High King. We have been crucified to this world. Right now, we're in a, a season that is just dominating all of our thoughts. There's no way to, to escape it. Um, but even so, even with all of that, I love what we started with in Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And the reason he says is for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ. You hear what he's saying? So all those things we talked about that has died, he says your life is hidden with Christ. And do you know where Christ is? Christ is in heaven, <laughs> seated at the right hand of God. That's where your life is. And so why would your mind be set on earthly things? Because your life isn't here. Your earthly life has died. You have died. When Christ died, you died with him. That we were already dead. So we instead set our mind on things above, for we have died and our life is hidden with Christ. He possesses it. It's, it's with him in heaven. And so I, I don't know, Christian, how much time you've been spending listening to the news. But my, my guess is it's been an inordinate amount of time reading, studying. I'm guessing the amount of time you and I are spending on social media, on things of this world, setting our mind on things of the world has, has just increased exponentially. Can I, can I challenge us to, to put into play what Paul is writing? Because what he's saying we need to hear to our core. You can pursue, I can pursue things of this earth all we want and it will never satisfy because our life isn't here. It's hidden with Christ in heaven. And yet when we make that shift in our mind and we set our mind on things above, suddenly we begin to find satisfaction and joy because that's where our life is. And so how, how often are you setting your mind and your attention and your thoughts on heavenly things, on where your life is hidden with Christ. We're going to take the elements of, of communion together, and we're celebrating Jesus' death. But when Jesus died, with him we died too. It's not just that he died in our place. Scripture literally says you were with him. That he held inside of him all the brokenness of humanity, all of our sinful nature, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our thoughts about the world, all of our separation from God, all of that. It was in Him. We were with Him. And when, when, when He was nailed to the cross, so too were we. We were nailed through Him. And it was our body with His body that was broken. It was our blood with His blood that was poured out so that we would never have to feel it. Jesus felt it all for us. And that's a huge part of the good news. That he willingly took that harm so that those things could die and we could die to them so that we can be free to live for what life is really all about. And so next week we're going to celebrate what is ours in the resurrection. 
this week we're going to celebrate what is ours in the crucifixion. We're going to be thankful for Jesus' death and for inviting us to die with him and enabling us to do that. Hey, listen, if you are listening in and you're not a believer, this may be a lot to handle. <laughs> it, this, this is interesting stuff. We, we take a piece of bread and we remember his broken body and we'll take wine and we'll drink and we'll remember his blood. And to you, that might sound crazy. That's okay. We still proclaim it. To us, it is the very power of life. And yet, if you feel something stirring inside of you, if the Holy Spirit is using the words of Paul and you feel something inside of you just stirring and you're saying, you know what? I have my life set on earthly things and you're feeling this fear and the disappointment of this world right now. Can I encourage you, if you're feeling that, that there is hope. There is hope beyond this world. That, that I don't have to be scared whatever happens in this world, that genuinely my life isn't here, it is hidden with heaven. And that's a promise that is mine, not because I'm special or because the church, but because Christ, because Christ. And so if you have something stirring inside of you and you're beginning to believe in Jesus Christ, all there is is, a, is an acceptance of Him as Lord and Savior, a, a deep belief that, that his death on the cross extends to you, and it is you're asking him to let you die with him on the cross that you might be raised with him in the empty tomb to have new life. And that's a mystery. It's a beautiful, wonderful mystery. But the only thing I can explain to you on the other side of that mystery, as someone who has accepted and internalized that mystery down into my soul by the gift of God, is that life is real on the other side that there is joy and there is hope and there is love and there is purpose on the other side of that faith. And it drives who we are. And I would love for you to be a part of that with our family. And when we're able to get back together, if you've not been baptized, maybe you've, been, you've had some other form of baptism and you didn't even understand what baptism is, I'd encourage you to study what Paul says about baptism in Colossians 2 and Romans 6, what the Bible says about baptism, of what it, what it is meant to picture that, that you have been buried with Christ, that you might be raised into new life with Him. If you want to celebrate your faith in Christ through baptism, we would love to do that as a church. You're more than welcome to shoot me an email. And when all of this passes over and we're back to celebrating together, we will celebrate that uh, with you. Hey, church, let me say a prayer for us, and then we're going to get into our... our um, our liturgy of how we follow along in, in the Lord's Supper together and communion together. Let me pray for us. Father, what joy to turn our attention to the cross. Oh, and I know that that day back then was a sorrowful, hard day. But you have turned our sorrow into an everlasting joy that cannot be taken away. And we now see the cross through the lens of the empty tomb and we know what you accomplished there. And so it is for us a joy-filled day where we too died and the trappings of this world died with us and our sinful nature died with us and our guilt and our shame and all of those things died with us when you died, God, for we died 
And now we are hidden with you, Jesus Christ. And so we just make much of you now. And I pray that you overcome the, the barrier of distance and technology. You would draw us to, together around your table with saints around the world as we just join together and make much of you, Jesus. We celebrate your love for us. Um, do your work inside of us through the mystery of your body and blood of the death. Do your work inside of us. Build up your church, God, for your purposes and your glory. We pray that, and we just give this to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So church, as we have taken up the practice of doing, we're going to just give this prayer a, a uh, responsive reading. And so as I read through this, um, we'll put the words up on the screen for you. We'll have slides and I'll read the first line. You'll read the second bold line. Um, I think I'm going to read that part. And Mary Lee will lead you through the bold part, your part. So read along with her. And we're going to offer this as a prayer to God. Uh, as we get into our time of communion. As we come to the Lord's table, let us come with a spirit of humility and penance. Let us examine ourselves, our thoughts, our actions, our motives, and our attitudes toward others. Help us to remember our responsibilities to our families and our neighbors, our stewardship to you and the work you have given to our hands. As we eat the bread which represents your body, which is the true and living bread, open our eyes to recognize the intimacy that you yearn to share with us. As we drink the cup, which represents Christ's blood shed for us, we thank you for the new covenant, love one another, which is written on our hearts. Let us rejoice because our names are written in heaven. May this Lord's Supper energize every area of our lives and enable us to transcend our circumstances, our inadequacies, and our enemies. We praise you, O God, who make us your own people through the death and resurrection of your Son, our Lord. Abide 